space. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility. Where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities. Creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name is James Hickson, and and, and uh, oh god, uh, Trey, I Trey, I I can't do it, Trey. I I can't. No, it's gonna be fine. I can't do another crossover so soon after Inferno. Okay, just... but but James, he, hear me out. I understand. There were so many spinoffs. There were so many tie-ins. Yeah, just so many. But but hear me out. What, what if? What 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 if? What if? See what I did there? What if? Was that a, was, was that a pun? Eh, it was at are, least are you, an attempt at humor. Are you punning about my suffering? In all sincerity, what if the crossover was only five issues long and we're already most of the way through the issues that tie in? Okay, I'm listening. And what if the entire thing was the brainchild of Roy Thomas? Okay, yeah. And what if every single issue was an issue of what if? Ooh, I do like what if. (laughs) Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah? Is it the version of what if with my boy Uatu in it? Yes, Uatu is present in every issue with increasing involvement. (laughs) Woohoo! Including one where he looks like Tor Johnson. Yes. That was last episode, actually. Yeah. Right, right. To am good watcher. Uatu no am interfere. Time for go what if. Yes. I, I feel like my, my Uatu as tour took a left turn into Bizarro territory. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Now I want to see Tor Johnson as Bizarro in the George Reeves Superman series. That's actually pretty perfect. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know they would just put, you know, Reeve and make like makeup, but like. Sure. But just, oh, put Tor Johnson in there. Why not? <laughs> so if that hasn't given away the whole ball game, listeners, we are, in fact, in the midst of Timequake. I'm quaking. <laughs> That's right. The one and only ongoing storyline ever attempted in the What If titles. Right. Uh, and... As far as I'm aware, Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Like, there were later, like, what a series that were, like, mini-series. Right. But they're usually sort of conceptually linked rather than narratively linked. Yeah. But this one, you actually, because remember, what if it's usually just one-off issues? And, right. of course, as we talked about the show before, they always end badly. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And And as we discovered at the end of our last episode, we were barreling like a freight train toward Timequake with the issues that we were talking about. Yeah. Last time we talked about what if number one, 
we talked about what if number six six we looked at what if 21 and today we're looking at what if volume one issue 36 what if the fantastic four never gain their superpowers then we are jumping ahead a few years to what if volume two uh number 19 what if the vision of the avengers conquer the world and then lastly today we are ending up on what if volume two issue 35 what if the fantastic five fought dr doom and annihilus and of course that last issue volume two number 35 has a nice little crossover event box in the bottom right corner indicating that it's time quake part one of five that's right, Trey. Although, technically, it isn't Volume 2, as you told me last time, because of some bullshit. Right, right. So if you go to the Marvel fandom wiki, the unofficial Marvel wiki, they distinguish between the two what-if titles, not as Volume 1 and Volume 2, but as the volume without an ellipsis, followed by the volume with an ellipsis. They are both considered Volume 1, because if you look at the covers in the original what-if book, there was no dot, dot, dot after what if. Whereas in the second volume, there is a dot, dot, dot after what if. And so they consider those two separate titles. Which we just call stupid. Yes, I agree. It, it is dumb. It is bad. We are going to continue saying volume one, volume two, because it makes our lives so much easier. So much. Um... Uh, and of course, if you haven't listened to our last episode where we covered the first three books that end up being important to the Time Quake event... You might want to check those out first, because you're going to see some of those characters start to pop up again. However, we will not be talking about What If Volume 2, Number 24, because despite that being very important to the Timequake storyline, we talked about that issue over a year ago with our friend Chad Bowers. Right. Right. So by all means, do check out that episode. For our thoughts on the the issue where Wolverine becomes Lord of the Vampires. Yep, that's our X Vampires episode. It's all X Men versus Dracula and consequences thereof. Right, which that was back in October of 2022, episode 73. Man, we've been doing the all new, all different Tomb of Ideas for a while now. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And we will return with our look at What If, Volume 1, Number 36, right after these messages. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. we got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth. It's incredible action, astonishing adventure, the Fantastic Four in an all-new season on the Marvel Hatchet Universe. Time to start kicking butt. Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, the Human Torch, and that ever-loving blue-eyed thing. It's clobber time. 
face off against the most awesome enemies in the universe. Super Scroll is about to destroy civilization. The more choked up. The Fantastic Four on the new Marvel Action Universe. Sunday mornings at 8.30, 7.30 Central. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Again, our first issue for today is What If Volume 1, Number 36, What If the Fantastic Four Had Not Gained Their Superpowers. Writer, penciler, and inker on this issue is John Byrne. Colors by Bob Sharon. Letters by Joe Rosen. The editors are Mark Grunwald and Mike Carlin. We open with a refresher on the origin of the Fantastic Four, for anyone who doesn't know what the deal is with this team. Of course, in the world that we remember of Earth-616, Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben are about to blast off on a mission to beat the Russians into outer space. Ben expresses concerns about the cosmic rays, but Sue effectively bullies him into going along with it anyway. And so they end up being exposed to the cosmic rays. And before Ben Grimm can say, I told you so, they all develop special powers. It all seems very familiar somehow. Sure. Yes. Almost like it's been adapted into a movie two or three times. And I think like three or four cartoons and maybe oh, some sure. reprints. And one time there was a robot. Uh -huh. uh, yep. Yep. So the kids wouldn't set themselves on fire. Right. Um, you know, that wasn't was true, that... right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally a myth. Uh, but yeah, there was it... also... There was also that one time that Johnny Storm sounded like Bill Murray. I like that version. <laughs> I like that version a lot. That one was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Uatu interrupts our musing about how familiar the story is by saying, what if it wasn't so familiar? And oh. instead, what if the Fantastic Four did not gain their powers by being exposed to cosmic rays? And so we see a different version of the conversation where... When Sue calls Ben a coward, Reed immediately jumps in and says, no, wait, Ben's right. We shouldn't rush headfirst into this. <laughs> wait a minute. Somebody at comic books acts like a reasonable human being? I know. I know. And I so like Reed delays for two weeks so that they can re-examine the shielding of the spacecraft, which also gives NASA time to provide them with experienced astronauts so that they don't have to take their girlfriend and kid brother. <laughs> Girlfriend's care brother, yeah. <laughs> right. And so Sue and Johnny watch from an observation deck as Reed, Ben, and random astronauts blast off into space. Their shields easily deflect the cosmic storm, and they prove that interstellar space travel is possible. <clears throat> this in turn leads to a huge leap forward in technology on Earth as interstellar travel becomes more common. Reed, who holds the singular patent on the technology, becomes immensely wealthy and builds up a gigantic industrial facility where he continues working on scientific problems. Hold and, on, hold on, hold on. Yes? You're telling me that if the Fantastic Four hadn't gotten their powers, within a year, mankind would have outposts on Mars and the outer planets and, like, other galaxies? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like God they're fully it, like, Reed! They're, they're fully doing the Starfleet thing, yeah. They're fully, oh... See, I guess I could headcan it being like, okay, yeah, because Reed was too busy trying to figure out powers mm -hmm. and like what their new biology was to, you know, advance the technology. But God damn it. 
Not only that, but presumably this is a world without the Red Ghost and his super apes, which automatically makes it a better place to be. Yeah, this is the now the main Marvel Universe. Sorry, guys. (laughs) And so Reed, while working in his lab, is approached by Colonel Cawley, representing the U.S. government, because evidently locations all around the world are being eaten by giant sinkholes, basically sinking beneath the Earth's crust. Did anyone else, when this guy showed up in the first panel on his page, think it was Willie Lumpkin? So, but like Colonel Lumpkin. Colonel Lumpkin. I think somebody <laughs> has done that before. Somebody <laughs> has done that before. It's you know, okay. Anyway. I, I kind of wanted it to be Nick Fury, but <laughs> but anyway, random Colonel Cawley has a f- helpful photograph showing one of the sinkholes, and Reed just happens to have been researching seismic activity, and so... He is able to call up some data on the screen, but as he does so, one of the giant sinkholes begins eating his own building. Just then, a giant monster, as seen on the cover of this book and also Fantastic Four number one, emerges from underground and begins attacking. And Reed reveals that he's been able to pinpoint the origin of the attack, Monster Isle. And so, with that knowledge in hand... Reed, Ben, and for some reason Sue and Johnny all descend into the hole to investigate and then try to put a stop to the seismic activity. Um, I think I think it's because they are part of the Richards Rocket group at this point. Yeah, yeah, they're all wearing matching uniforms with with ball caps with with a with an R logo. God, those ball caps are so eighties. Ball caps are so eighties. <laughs> yep. Like they're the hot pink and yep. Um, and it is all very, let's give them something like the Fantastic Four uniform, but without making it a superhero costume. Mm-hmm. Look, yeah. In fact, it looks a lot like what Reed is wearing in the first couple of issues of Fantastic Four, where it's vaguely uniformy, but not superhero. Uh, in any case, uh, they continue descending and they reach pitch black darkness. At some point, they lose their footing. Reed falls, busts up his arm. Johnny... I guess is trained as a field medic and so is able to create a makeshift sling for Reed. And in the chaos, Reed and Johnny are separated from Ben and Sue. So first we follow Reed and Johnny through the underground caverns. They find a massive high-tech transportation system, sort of a, a maglev train type thing. And using it, they travel through the caves and ultimately encounter a mysterious figure who is not revealed yet. I mean, given that this is sort of a redo of the Fantastic Four's origin, you only need one or two guesses to figure out who it's going to be. Right, right. And meanwhile, we cut back to Ben and Sue, who are fighting off sentient rock monsters with their blaster pistols, and they're able to fit through some some ducts in the technology that is just beneath the surface of the rock. And so... They go full Bruce Willis and Die Hard and crawl through the ducts to escape. And that takes us back to Reed and Johnny in the lair of the Mole Man. Who, so. uh, right, right. And the Mole Man just, I don't know. He just kind of sucks in every reality. Because <laughs> he's always just the Mole Man. Like, yeah. he hates the surface world. He wants to bring everything underground where he can rule He has monsters. It's all the same kind of thing. He seems really proud of his radar sense, as if Daredevil doesn't do that way better. 
Um, I like his monsters. His monsters are fun. The monsters are the best part. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In any case, the Mole Man shows off by beating Johnny across the head with his stick. Reed notices that there's a thermonuclear device hidden behind the Mole Man's throne. And just as Mole Man is about to smack Johnny in the head again, Ben rushes in and shoots the Mole Man's stick. Mole Man rushes over and tries to pull a cord that would wake up the giant monster underneath his chamber, but he is intercepted. And so they are escorting Mole Man out of the cave so that he can face trial for what he's done. But the Mole Man pretends to fall so that he can so that he can grab a sort of emergency lever disguised as a rock, which unleashes a bunch of his monsters. And so our not quite Fantastic Four rush out of the cave where the colonel and a bunch of other military personnel are waiting in helicopters and Reed says they all need to leave right away because a nuke is about to go off. And finally, the uh, Reed and his team are congratulated for saving the world, and they are told by the president that they are indeed fantastic. It is unclear if that is JFK or Ronald Reagan in that picture. Right. There, there, it's from above and at a distance so that everyone's in shadow, seeming by yeah. design. You're right. That, that would have been cooler with Nick Fury there. That said, I, first off, holy shit, John Byrne. I wasn't expecting an all John Byrne joint in so this episode. So this, this issue is cover date December 1982. This was toward the beginning of his FF run, wasn't it? The first time that around? Sounds right, yeah. He It would have been before he was doing The Thing, but I think he was already doing FF at this point. Yeah. And it's, you know, all the tropes of John Byrne FF are there. I think you mentioned earlier Reed has a huge forehead. Oh, yeah, this was before we started, but especially on the very first page of the comic, that first panel, like, Reed looks like the leader. <laughs> Tallest forehead I've ever seen. Mm. And, yeah, no, I, I get why it has to be the Mole Man, because you're redoing the first story. But I don't think I've ever liked a Mole Man story. <laughs> I mean, it, this story is fun because it's a retelling of Fantastic Four number one. Right, right. It gets read- mileage out of... How do you do it different because they don't have powers? Yeah, and I and I read that story a lot as a kid because, of course, I had Origin of Marvel Comics, that big trade that they put out yep. with all the Stanley introductions and stuff like that. Right, and it had sort um, of the classic number ones and all that. Classic number ones, yep. I also, and it's it's fun, the ways it takes off in there, because it kind of pointedly says, you know, in, in our reality, Reed Richards forms himself into a parachute and cushions their fall, but here he just fucks up his arm. Although, I will say, I, I went back and looked back at Fantastic Four number one after reading this issue, and he spent a lot more time, John Byrne spent a lot more time worrying how they got from outside to the Mole Man's chamber than Stan and Jack ever did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stan and Jack, it's sort of one page they're outside, the next page they're inside. Yeah, there is no monorail, which, you know, I can't fault John Byrne for that because everything's better for monorail. Sure, sure. There, There is a very charming picture of Richard Nixon where he's driving the monorail. And you can't help be, be charmed by it because it's a monorail, despite right. the fact it's Richard Nixon. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think Ben and Sue kind of get the short end of the stick in this story. Not just, I mean, even though Johnny's the one who literally gets hit with a stick, Ben and Sue are the ones who story-wise get the least to do, I think. Yeah. And I think 
part of that is, I'm sorry, Ben, but you're just not as interesting about the rocky exterior. Right. Right. And, and yeah, so he has sort of two modes. He has shoot things mode and he has like, like finding ways to escape. Like those are the two things he does. Although um, he, he does tackle Mole Man so that yes. he was not able to do in number one. And of course, it, they they pretty much lampshade. Yes, in our reality, this monster would have woken up and there'd been a big fight scene. But right, because Ben is more agile here. Right, this um, is former football star Ben Grimm, not the ever loving blue eyed thing. Yeah, who is still adjusting to his new body. And this, and again, that's one of those things where in our timeline, it's before Sue would have had her force fields because that would have been the easy way to stop him with the FF's powers would be Sue projects a force field. Mm-hmm. But that's not an option even in, in 616 at that point. So it is funny how even even though they do prevent him from waking up that monster, he still has a way to wake up all the monsters. Yeah, because because who puts a secret stone on a path? Right, like, right. How easy would that have been just to stumble over me? Oh, shit. No, guys, go back to sleep. No, <laughs> no, no you're fine. Go back to sleep. Sorry. That thing does, does raise the question why exactly does the nuke go off like it says he's sealed himself below forever but why exactly I think it's his I guess because the army is closing in yeah it's his Bond villain self-destruct plan yeah it's Which... just you never see the moment where he decides to do it you see him saying go out and destroy them to the monsters and then like the next page is a mushroom cloud when did Dr. No come out 62 yeah, 62. I am amazed that I knew that. And when did Fantastic Four number one come out? Uh, Didn't know that, did you, Spark Guy? Not off the top of my head, no, but 61. So Mole Man predates Dr. No. Yes. But he is very much in the Bond villain mole. Right. Well, and so that's the thing. Predates the movie, probably doesn't predate the book. I know, but it's put out in the 50s. Right. Yeah. Which um, I don't know if they blow Stan would have known that. I don't know if they blow the shit out of the island in, in the book, though. Uh, yeah, I don't remember, actually. Yeah, this is despite the fact I might have read the book at one point. I've um, read all of them. It's just been a yeah. while. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sad that I, re- I remember some... No, it isn't. Fuck those th- that intellectual bullshit. It is not sad that I remember Fantastic Four number one better than Doctor No. For one thing, <laughs> one thing, say what you will about, you know, Reed and Sue's relationship... Fantastic Four is way less problematic than any Ian Fleming novel ever. Absolutely, 100%. Including uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Sure, sure. Never read his version of it, but sure. I only know the Dick Van Dyke movie. I haven't read it either, but I'm just assuming, because you don't see Ian Fleming. Just just at some point, <laughs> like, someone just goes on off on a misogynist rant for no yeah, reason. Somebody slaps a woman on the ass, like... Be a good girl. Get some coffee. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> random, random detour into 1970s Harlem for no reason. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, could be worse. Could be Lovecraft. Anyway, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is a fun story. Uh, e- even though, as I say, I'm not the biggest fan of the Mole Man as a villain, it makes sense for why he's in this story, and it does what this era of What If did well, which was taking a story you know and sort of playfully tweaking the outcomes of things. Like, identifying the key decision points and taking them in different directions. Yes. And 
honestly, it does it better than some of the stories we've previously talked about in in this crossover. Oh yeah, um, where... I, I'd say for sure this is the best of the the Fantastic Four what ifs we've talked about so far. There is so far, yes. For issue, yeah, th- this yes, episode. but so so far, this is the best one. Yeah, yeah. There's also a Nova story in here. I, I, I didn't read it. I just I've never cared about Nova. No, I, I like him in New Warriors. Sure, that, that run he had in like the early aughts was good. The one that came out of Annihilation. Yep, yep, yep. That was good. I, I just you know, I know Marv Wolfman loves him, but uh, yeah, I just he's. <laughs> To me, he's less interesting Hal Jordan, and Hal Jordan is already the most boring man alive. This is true. <laughs> this this is very, very true. Wow. God damn it. I hate Hal Jordan so much. Right? Right. Oh. There's only one good Hal Jordan story. New Frontier. New Frontier, yeah. This New Frontier. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. no. There are two good Hal Jordan stories, and in one of them, he turns into a genocidal maniac. <laughs> not new frontier <laughs> right <laughs> yes <laughs> let's oh. say reign of the supermen through green lantern the two or three probably wherever kyle rayner starts to take over yeah <sighs> but yeah this is a good issue i liked this one um it really was fun uh, you know, honestly, I, it reminds me of the amalgam challengers of the fantastic. Very much so. This is very much the challengers of the fantastic, and it, it's even like I honestly think that John Byrne was riffing a little bit here on the challengers of the unknown. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to because that's sort of what a powerless Fantastic Four looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. And, you know, as much shit as we give John Byrne for many things on this show, the man could tell a story. Some rightfully so. <laughs> Some rightfully so. Man could tell a story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and we haven't really talked about the art here, but, you know, it's for early 80s Marvel with the limitations that paper quality and things brought. Like, these are well-rendered pages. Like... Probably of the books we're reading for this episode, one of the bet one of the best ones in terms of layouts. Yeah, honestly, I'm wondering why we get that that Nova backup. We could have had more of this this Fantastic Four. I think that'd been fun. Yeah, I don't know. Did, did I'm trying to remember? Did What If during this period have backups? Usually, oh. it looks like it did. It looks like most of the issues in the 30s. Well. Starting with the previous issue, so 30, 35, 36, yeah. 37, like those those back half of the 30s tended to do a main story and a backup. That just looks like the format they were on. And they are dollar books. Right, right. And this is a point. I think books were, I want to say... 75 cents? Yeah, let me look. Say yeah. what? I'm 75, 75 cents. Yeah. 60 cents, 75 cents. So this is definitely supposed to be a premium book, so that explains the backup. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just looking, and it looks like example issues of X-Men from this from 1982 were 60 cents, so... Yeah. Yep, that would explain it. That's why we got a backup here. But I, 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 I yeah, like... Yeah, for anyone who's curious, the, the, the Nova backup is written by Bill Mantlo, 
Pencils and Inks by Mike Fosberg. If you like Nova, it's probably fine. I'm just not a big Nova guy. Yeah, me neither. Also, Nova, far as I can remember, not in Timequake. <laughs> nope, not in Timequake. So we are moving on. Yep. We are moving on to What If Volume 2 from November of 1990. We are taking a nine-year jump, and this is number nine. What if the vision of the Avengers conquered the world? Writers on this one are Roy Thomas and R.J.M. LaFissier. Ron Wilson is our penciler. Sam De La Rosa is our anchor. Janice Chang is our letterer. Gregory Wright is our colorist. Craig Anderson is our editor. Tom DeFalco is editor and chief so the story starts off with the watcher reminding us of the time the supercomputer of titan isaac bonded with the avenger the vision and together they took tried to take over the world's computers before the avengers were able to talk vision down from his world conquering but that of course was in the regular 616 universe and this university of Avengers were unsuccessful, and we actually get two different outcomes. In the first, the Vision is able to convince the United Nations to acquiesce to his demands and usher in a new period of peace. The world's atomic weapons are dismantled. The X-Men are feeding the hungry. Sorry, X-Factor is feeding the hungry. Black Panther is turning africa into a garden uh the fantastic four are building power stations around the world thor is ending drought around the world and in very short order tracer a character u.s agent is a astronaut wolverine and the now adult new mutants are colonizing mars and jesus christ trey that's just the most wholesome looking picture of Wolverine I think I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we flash forward to the future to the United Earth starship Henry Pym, where Thor visits the this century's Avengers in the years 2136, by the way. They are Starhawk, Iron Droid, Commander America the Tachyon Torch, and Jin the Gamazon. Just to do roll call here, Starhawk was a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, who apparently yep. gets awakened a bit earlier in this timeline. Um, Iron Droid is an employee of Stark Interstellar, carrying on the tradition of, you know, Tony Stark. Commander America is a genetically engineered super soldier, carrying on the legacy, of course, of Captain America. Tachyon Torch is a descendant of Johnny Storm, and Jen the Gamazon is a clone of Jennifer Walters. Um, the, event, the Cosmic Avengers, as they are called, are alerted to a scroll Cree plot to steer Haley's Comet into the Earth. So, of course, the Cosmic Avengers intercede. There's a bit of a slugfest between the two in the, in the melee. Iron Droid is crushed by a Kroll's priest, so Thor gives a big old beatdown 
to the scroll and they mourn the loss of an Avenger. The Vision's like, hey, don't worry, Stark International is going to send us a new one because he just doesn't <laughs> get it. He doesn't. Sorry, right. Stark Interstellar just goes to the new one because they don't get it. But meanwhile, um, the failure of the plot has spurred rebellions on both Hala and the Scroll homeworld, which I can't remember the name of right now. Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, it gets destroyed by Galactus eventually. Don't worry. Right, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's the first story. Yeah. I liked it. It's good. It's fine. It's fun. couple things. Is it just me, or does Iron Droid kind of look like the prototype for Iron Man 2020? Just a little bit. Like the uh, gears on the shoulders? Yeah. Yeah. He, do- he does. The thing is, I really like that look. Like, the Iron Droid armor cool is really cool looking, in my opinion. I think it's a better sort of made more futuristic design than Commander America, who basically is just wearing the cap costume with shoulder pads. And, like, the lines are a little bit different. They are. They are. But not so different. <laughs> right. The main thing is the shoulder pads. The main thing is the shoulder pads. The tachyon torch yeah. is pretty standard, bog standard superhero costume. <laughs> I'm about to say he looks sort of like whenever they've tried to give either Johnny or the Golden Age Torch, like, a distinct uniform. Yeah. In fact, it's basically when Johnny had his variant FF costume that was red and yellow, but with a flame instead of a number in the center. Yeah, and, like, the the gloves have little flame, like, parts at the ends rather than... Yeah, because at first, the first time you see him his back is to the reader. He's sitting in a chair with the other Avengers and you can't see his face. All you see is the the red bodysuit and the yellow gloves and boots. And my first thought was, did Barry Allen somehow transport over here? Oh, <laughs> uh, although he's a redhead. So I guess that'd be Wally. Yeah. Wally, Wally, Wally just showed up. Yeah. And like at that point in the story, for some reason, the art just goes downhill real quick. Yeah. Especially when we get to the fight scene, when the Cosmic Avengers drop out of their the Henry Pym. Um, oh, the the Avengers Assemble panel is so bad. Oh, so bad. Look at look at Commander America's face. So bad. Oh man. He looks like a freeze frame of someone who's just been punched in the jaw. Yeah, he he looks like you know the the twelve year old who's uh, he's just learning how to draw superheroes. <laughs> How, how his Commander America would look. It's just, oh, man. Yeah. And, I, I, and I've seen this artist do other work, so I know he knows how to draw. Sure, like, yeah, it's wow. Ron Wilson, right? Yeah. Ron Wilson Ron Wilson's... did a lot of two-in-one. Yeah, yeah. Just, oof. Not just sure if he got rushed at that point or what, but... Mm. Yeah. The alien stuff is fine. Like, the scrolls look good, the Kree look fine, but, but also it's okay if they look a little more distorted because they're aliens. Yeah, yeah. I, I think also just the layouts from this point forward get really crowded. I don't know yeah. if there's too. I don't know if there's too much text on the page or what. But I, I started to have trouble figuring out the flow of the panels at this point. That's fair. I think part of that is the need to fit another whole story in here. Yeah, it's pretty the, cramped. The, the issue is very much split in the middle. Speaking of, we should probably go ahead and talk about the next story. What, one, one last thing I will just quickly say, and I don't know if this is just me, but every so often I do just sort of try to imagine Starhawk 
with Sylvester Stallone's voice. <laughs> Just, you know, like, where is it? You know, as one who knows, I have become aware. <laughs> I don't know. I do a terrible Stallone, but in my head, it's funny. I've been wanting the one of us best kept secrets ever since I was found. No, that's Arnold. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just like imagining Stallone having to say dialogue like as one who knows. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, but as you say, we get a totally different version of this same premise very soon. (laughs) Yep. So we go from the good outcome, the good ending for our video game fans out there to the, I guess, bad ending. We have the same story, but on the night, on the day of the meeting of the UN, the uh, gen- rulers of Genosha decide to teleport in a thermo tactical thermonuclear device and blow up Avengers Mansion and consequently the entire island of Manhattan in a massive fireball tray. Huge, <laughs> huge fireball. Violence breaks out all around the world as people try to destroy their computers, but also as violence breaks out among various groups for some reason. You would think they had a common enemy. They'd fight against that, but apparently not. In order to restore order, the Vision uh, goes and recruits four individuals who he knows have the capability, if they team together, to put the world under his heel and that, of course, is the Mad Thinker, Doctor Doom, Supreme Hydra, and Wilson Fisk. One of these things is not like the other. One of these <laughs> things is not the same. Anyway, and so the Mad Thinker creates an army of awesome androids for the Vision, which are deployed by the Kingpin across America. Meanwhile, Doctor Doom deploys an army of Doombots across Europe. And Hydra, for some reason, deploys in the combination of two across Africa. I'm not really sure why he's not, you know, using Hydra agents, being <laughs> Supreme Hydra as he is, but I, who knows. Eventually, all the forces meet in the middle, and that is Japan, where they take out Sunfire, who apparently is the last hero standing. They then number the human race and enslave them. Uh, and eventually they their power grows until they are dominating the stars with the combined fleet uh, invading the planets. We fast forward to the future where um, now Madam Hydra, Doctor Doom, the whatever, fifth or whatever, and the Metazoid, the, the robot descendant of the Mad Thinker, are meeting with the leaders of the Scrolls and Kree. There, they agree on an alliance where they will subjugate the rest of space, including the Shi'ar, who they take out rather cruelly. There's a really despicable scene here where Lalandra of the Shi'ar decides that she will surrender because Doom has promised her that if you do so, your life will be spared. And like, whatever his other failings, Victor Von Doom was ever a man of his word. And the Doom clones, like, he was indeed. As a matter of fact, that was the most difficult traits for the Vision Entity to eliminate when he cloned me. And then he kills him. Yeah, that's pretty cold. Pretty cold. But once they have subjugated the rest of the galaxy, the Kree and the Scrolls reveal they are actually going to double-cross 
the vision, but vision reveals that he knew they were going to double cross him the whole time, and he replaces the he downloads himself into the Kree's supreme intelligence, making himself the supreme intelligence of the Kree and thus the leader of the Kree. He also reveals that he has secretly gotten all scrolls addicted to crack cocaine and not crack cocaine, <laughs> but say, you know, something very, very addictive and they will die without okay. it. If you know Star Trek, he turned the scrolls into the Jim Hadar. Yes. Yes. That's exactly They're addicted what they to Ketracel White. Yeah. Except it's blue. Yeah, it turns them blue, which it I, I don't know why they had to put that little detail in there. <laughs> it's just an extra little middle finger to the scrolls. You're blue now. <laughs> Hydra ca- captures the Bredoon breeding planet. So, hey, if you want to have babies, you better bat onto us. And so the Cree, sorry, the Vision has effectively conquered the universe under the heel of oppression. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, other one's better. <laughs> yeah, the other story's better. The best part of the story is Doom. Yeah, yeah. The Clone um, Doom. Clone Doom is pretty good. The Hydra character is kind of just a nothing. Yeah, like, the, the, at least give, give us, like, Zemo or something, you know? There is no, like, future version of the Kingpin. Like, that one just drops by the wayside. Yeah. Like, give us Rosebud. Give it, give it, you know, give it, give us Rosebud 2125 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually has kind of a cool look. Just they don't do much with it. He's a weird looking dude. I like him. Kind of reminds me of, like, Ultra Humanite or something. He is just needlessly hairy. It's great. <laughs> Why is he so hairy? Why he's are you like, make... He's like a robot beast thing. Robot beast <laughs> thing. Like, like you know what? I really like the haircut I had as the mad thinker. What if we put it all over my body, <laughs> but then left me bald? Okay, so here's the thing. The mad thinker, much like the mole man, kind of always sucks. Let me have this one version that's a little bit cooler. <laughs> I predicted you would say that. <laughs> With a 99.8% certainty? 99.9. Ah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it's... it's The art in this one is a little better, I think. Like, it's more consistent, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it's, I, I'm wondering... Okay. I, think it's, I think it's Wilson all the way through, so... It is, yeah. I'm and same maker. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, if just some pages got rushed or what... Kind of feels like they did the second half first, mm. and then sort of ran out of time on the first one. I don't know. Which is weird it because also, it, it's the first one that gets revisited later. Yeah, but it's also it's interesting. The first one looks like a '90s comic. The second one feels like a late '80s comic. If that makes sense. Yes. In terms of layouts, in terms of story structure, like just the the look of them the second half feels a little bit older than the first half, even though they're not. They're the same creative team working at the same time. It's weird. Also, just a fascinating thing. These two stories are the product of three writers because RJM Lefissier, that's a pen name for the combined work of Randy Lefissier and her husband, Jean-Marc Lefissier. That's right. It is because we talked about that with the, with the Wolverine issue. Yep. So the, the three people wrote these two stories. 
interesting. Like which which does make me wonder if there's a there's actually a distinction going on between plotting and scripting, and they're just not pointing that out in the credits. Mm. I wonder if the Lefissiers plotted it and Roy scripted it. Possible. Or vice versa. Sorry, I'm looking something up. Yeah. I'm looking to see if these if this version of the Avengers, the Cosmic Avengers, show up again anywhere. Other than Timequake? Yes. I think they do. Yeah, it looks like looks like they show up in Avengers Assemble number one. Avengers Assemble Volume One number one in two thousand ten. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's also just weird. I mean, not weird. It makes sense given the the story being told, but like the 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 dystopian version of the Vision taking over doesn't really have a lot of superheroes in it. No, well, a lot of the, most of them get knocked out by the they get, nuclear weapon. Right, they get yeah. they get killed instantly, and then the few hangers on are are eliminated soon after. Yep, yep. So sorry, guys. Yep. Okay, looks like. It looks like the Avengers Assemble Volume 1 Issue 1 is more like a handbook kind of thing. Oh, okay. So, yeah, these Cosmic Avengers have only shown up in What If. Okay, interesting. I thought for sure they'd shown up in Avengers Forever, though. I feel like, I I just, I feel like I've seen those designs elsewhere. Maybe I'm conflating things. Because there's the part where... Every possible version of the Avengers shows up. Yeah, there's the good Avengers army and the bad Avengers army. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out, Trey, what if the Fantastic Five had fought Dr. Goodman and Nihilus right after these messages. So, Andy, we have to do a new trailer for the Overlooked Dark Knight. Really? Why? Because we moved. We moved? Yeah, things... um. Things weren't working out with the system that I've used since 2008, and the episodes are taking forever to come out, so I just moved us over to Libsyn. And is this going to change anything about the show? Oh, absolutely not. We're still reading Batman comics and talking about them. Well, because it's hard to talk about comics you've not read. For the most part. And we're sticking to the Batman comics that have been overlooked or forgotten over the years? That's the plan. And we're just going to abandon that format whenever we want from time to time? More than likely. I mean, it it is us. Yeah, right? (laughs) Rules are meant to be broken anyway. And what about the old episodes? Well, the old episodes will still be available on the old feed. I I have no plans on closing that out. may start porting some of those over to the new feed, but all of the feeds are going to stand for the moment. Uh, For the new episodes, just look for the album cover with the Jerry Bingham art wherever you look for your podcasts. Seems relatively foolproof. And I'll still be doing posts at www.fortressofbailey2.com where people can leave comments, see the covers, and occasionally pages from the comics we talk about. Brilliant. So, meeting adjourned. Pint! I'm up for that. Secret Wars! That's Dr. Drew's mission, Secret Shield. Ah, Zap Captain America, what's my doing, Roller? Dr. Doom, Doom Roller, Turbo Cycle, and Captain America each sold separately. Batteries not included. Let's roll! Doom Roller? That first wheel can't stop the Turbo Cycle. Change course, Doom Roller. Now, Turbo Cycle, you're doomed! Doom Roller and Turbo Cycle vehicles from the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars collection each sold separately. Action figures also sold separately. New from Mattel. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our last issue for today is What If Volume 2? Number 35, 
the cover gives the title as What If the Fantastic Five Fought Doctor Doom and Annihilus? But on the inside of the book, the title is given as What If the Fantastic Five Had Invaded the Negative Zone? Either way, it's Timequake Part 105. That's a better title. The second, the inside one? The inside title, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cover date on this is March 1992. Writers are Roy Thomas with RJM Lefissier, pencils by Joe Phillips, inks by Sam DeLaRosa, colors by Marie Javins, letters by Janice Chang. Editor is Craig Anderson. So we open with a interestingly armored version of the Watcher, uh, introducing himself and his whole sort of watching all permutations of reality concept, also giving us a little bit of an understanding of some developments in how Marvel's multiverse works, that there are entities within the multiverse who are sort of keystones. They are, are fixed points, you might say. Their presence is crucial to the, the multiverse and the various timelines remaining stable. <clears throat> and he lists, Watu lists a few of these. Cisneg, 31st century sorcerer. Merlin, advisor to King Arthur. Kang the Conqueror are examples of Nexi. Wanda Maximoff. Wanda Maximoff, we find out, is also a, a, a key nexus in the multiverse. And there are various entities that observe and maintain the time stream, such as the Time Variance Authority, which, if you've watched Loki, you're familiar with a version of them. Also, the Timekeepers, the three cosmic beings that exist at the end of the timeline. Um, Again, see Loki. Right, right. But in this case, the the Timekeepers are real. Sorry, spoilers. And they are obsessed with maintaining the stability of their existence in the time stream. And so they appoint Immortus to be their representative and, and to take care of the time stream. And in exchange, he is given a 7,000-year window where he is master of everything. And so Immortus begins eliminating Nexi, whose existence threatens the Timekeepers, and ultimately chooses one Nexus, the aforementioned Scarlet Witch, to be kind of an, an uber-Nexus. He starts infusing her with the energy of all of the other Nexi to make her this sort of cornerstone of all of time. But he is defeated in part through the actions of Agatha Harkness, and Wanda Maximoff basically rejects all of that Nexus energy, which the Timekeepers then infuse into Immortus himself, binding him to Limbo and making him that cornerstone of reality and time. Uatu notices that something weird is happening in the time stream even after that stability has supposedly been attained, and so he peeks in on what the Timekeepers are up to. And it turns out that the Timekeepers have detected four Nexi who escaped Immortus and who now threaten the existence of the Timekeepers. The Timekeepers also notice that the Watcher is watching them and invite him to observe and learn a thing or two. And so, the Timekeepers and the Watcher turn their attention to an Earth where where Peter Parker Spider-Man has joined the Fantastic Five. Yes. This seems yes. familiar. In fact, the Watcher is shocked because this seems to be the same Earth he observed way back in What If Volume 1, Number 1. Now, we are picking up on this timeline 
at a point where Sue is on the verge of giving birth to their son, Franklin, and Reed is concerned because the cosmic energy that gives them their powers threatens the lives of both Sue and the baby. And so the team will need to venture into the negative zone in order to retrieve a special antimatter element that will allow Reed to save both his wife and his newborn son. Needless to say, this is confusing because the last we saw of this reality, Sue, <laughs> Sue yeah. was married to Namor and Reed had gone insane. <laughs> I was biting my tongue so hard, Trey. <laughs> I did just like if it, uh, even yes. even the watcher. Yes, if it makes says, if it makes you at okay. home feel any better, the watcher is confused by this too. <laughs> yes, the watcher says, "Oh wait, no, this must be a slightly right, different right. reality. This must be Earth nine two three three five A." Yes, which makes sense. Right. Like, okay, yeah, right. that makes sense. It certainly makes more sense than what we're going to get in a minute. Than... Sure. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, and so the Watcher asks the timekeepers, one, why they're choosing to interfere with, interfere with this moment and how they plan to do so if they're not supposed to interfere in the time stream. And their answer to the first is that Franklin Richards of this reality is a nexus, which, you know, if you know anything at all about Franklin Richards, makes sense. And two, they operate yeah. using proxies. And so they indirectly influence or otherwise manipulate beings who exist within that timeline to do their bidding. And so their first attempt at this is through Annihilus, that they're basically relying on Annihilus to take out the Fantastic Five before Reed can escape with the antimatter. And so... Solid plan. Yes, yes. Much like in whatever issue of Fantastic Four this was, I remember the issue, but I don't remember the number... The team ventures into the negative zone with these cool little tech packs that Reed invented that allow them to travel through the, the antimatter universe. And they are attacked by not quite parademon looking things, little, little antimatter goblins, negative zone goblins. Spider-Man is the one who is taken, however, unlike in the original issue where it's Reed. And Spider-Man ends up confronting Annihilus single-handed. They go blow for blow. Spidey isn't really able to do much damage because Annihilus is, well, Annihilus. But he realizes that the cosmic rod is the source of Annihilus's power. And so he thwip thwips Annihilus's face, blinding him, and he makes off with the cosmic control rod. Meanwhile, the rest of the team are basically just trying to survive as they float through the void of the negative zone. They end up in a trap that Annihilus has set for them, which, I, again, I think is from the original issue, where a giant robot foot is trying to stomp on the thing. Saw blades come up out of the floor to attack Reed, and Johnny is attacked by what Reed calls an all-engulfing sonic sponge. And to answer your further question, it was Fantastic Four Annual Number 6. And I knew it was an annual. Couldn't remember which one. Annual Number 6 is the one where they fight Annihilus. And it's a good issue, worth checking out. Very good. And as the rest of the team are fighting these traps, they're sort of barely maintaining a stalemate until Spider-Man swings in with the control rod and basically blows away all the traps with it. He hands it off to Reed, who realizes that it is the, it is the element that he needs to save his wife and newborn child. And so they make their way back toward the portal that will take them to the Baxter, Baxter building. 
Uatu sort of does the Watcher version of gloating at this point, musing that the Timekeepers have failed. However, the Timekeepers have an ace up their sleeve. They have also influenced Doctor Doom by letting him know about the presence of the Negative Zone and the power of the Cosmic Control Rod. And so, just as the Fantastic Five are making their way to the exit, Doctor Doom appears and claims the control rod for himself. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Sue is about to go into labor. Contractions are getting closer together. It's not looking good. Doctor Doom, with the control rod, directly attacks Annihilus. They are able to go blow for blow because Doom is imbued with that cosmic power. Annihilus has his Annihilator Mm. rod. It's pretty cool, actually. Sweet cosmic power. Right. Reed, meanwhile, muses that Sue should have married Namor after all, that he was generous when he returned her to the surface world and undid the process that turned her into an amphibian. And the Watcher realizes suddenly, oh, no, wait, this is the world from what if volume one, number one, after all, I call bullshit, but bullshit, so much (laughs) bullshit. No, no. For one thing. Sue and Namor had a child in that world, and I don't care what world this is, that Sue Storm was not so different that she would leave her child behind Atlantis. The only scenario where she would leave her child behind, and I'm sorry to say this, is if that child had died. So I'll say this. Yeah, I wonder if we're supposed to take that issue one happened, but the follow-up issue didn't? I don't know. Maybe the... I don't... it doesn't make sense. That panel needlessly complicates things. Yes. Plus, 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 if we are taking, you know, I think 21, volume one twenty one into account here. Again, going back to Sue Storm, there is no universe in which Sue is taking back genocidal Reed Richards. Right, right, right. Slayer of all Atlanteans. <laughs> so many Atlanteans. But anyway, Reed is musing about things that could not possibly be. I, I blame the delirium of having been in the negative zone too long. There you go. Um, when suddenly Doom's astral form is pulled out of his physical body and he is confronted by a being known as the Whisperer, uh, a, an enemy of the Timekeepers, who warns Doom that the Timekeepers have lied and that the Cosmic Rod, while powerful, will not function in order to revive or in order to save Doom's mother's soul from Mephisto. Which, of course, if you know your Doctor Doom mythology, that's one of the things that Doom is obsessed with, is rescuing his mother's soul. Yeah. Um, The Whisperer points out that what's really at stake is the life of Sue Richards and her soon-to-be-born child. Because Franklin, as we've discussed, is a Nexus, and that if he dies... Doom's reality will be plunged into chaos because, and here's where I do believe it's the Reed from that reality, if his son dies, he will go mad and the world will plunge into nuclear war. Okay, yeah, fair. Yeah, fair. So so what we get from this is that if Uh Spider-Man joins the Fantastic Four, Yes. It leads Reed to genocide. One way or another. Yeah. Um, Um, It's just a matter of what triggers it. Uh, And Doom is like, you're right, that man's crazy. I need to keep him stable. Um, And so Doom returns to his physical form and tosses the cosmic control rod to Reed, telling him to get out while he holds off Annihilus. 
And so the Fantastic Five escape, and the last thing they see is a Nihilus and Doom fighting as the, the floating rock they're on reaches the center of the negative zone and explodes, as all things in the center of the negative zone do. Yeah. Um, we jump back to Earth, where the Fantastic Five are eagerly awaiting, anxiously even, awaiting news of uh, Sue's condition. And the doctor emerges to say that mother and child are doing fine. And so everyone is happy. They live happily ever after. And this time, Uatu gloats after all that the the timekeepers were unable to eliminate the first of the four Nexi that they're concerned with. And the Watcher keeps to himself that he alone saw the Whisperer rescue that version of Doom from the explosion. The Whisperer, or as we call him in the DC universe, the Time Trapper. <laughs> yeah, so this is the beginning of Timequake. We get a little um, page at the end here saying, you just read part one of Timequake, perhaps the most momentous event ever to take place in the pages of What If, <laughs> because it could have dramatic consequences for the real Marvel Universe. You won't want to miss the following issues. Your life might depend on it. <laughs> First off, despite the bullshit, it's a really fun issue. It is a very good issue. One, Annihilus is just a far more interesting villain than, say, Mole Man. Fair. Fair. And, and I'm sorry, the the whole fight scene of Doom versus Annihilus just looks cool. Yes. And uh, I... I I know it's kind of done to death this, th- at this point, but I love it when Dr. Doom acts noble. Yes, yes. Certainly becomes far more of a thing in more more recent Fantastic Four stories. At this yeah. point, he's practically an anti-hero. Yes. But at this point in 1990, it was still something of a novelty when Doom would be that kind of noble anti-hero doing the right thing, even if it's for slightly selfish reasons kind of person. Yes, and I think people really liked it, so now it's done to death. But right, right. I, I still like it, I'm sorry. I mean, even, it's not a great story, but even that way back in, in the 70s, the, the Overmind story, the best issue of that, that story arc is the one where Doom teams up with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and this is, this is right before we get Doom 2099. It's true. It's true. Because this is what? This is 1992? Probably, yeah. Because the, the other issue we did was 90. So this one is, yeah, 92. So this, yeah, right around the time. We're on the verge of 2099 being a thing. Yep, where Doom is the hero of that story. Uh, so, you know, yeah. we, we need to talk about more about 2099 in this show. We should. I am actually a pretty big fan of Ghost Rider 2099, so... Who wouldn't be? He's a he's got a cyberpunk chainsaw for a hand. Yep, yep. I mean, that's pretty groovy. Yes, and yeah, I, I don't know that the beginning of the issue does a great job of making sense of what's going on. <laughs> like, if I was picking this issue up for the first time and I had not read anything else involving Kang or Time Variant Authority or anything else, I'm not sure these first few pages would make sense. I can attest, as someone who read it as, like, a seven-year-old, it did not make a bunch of lost <laughs> sense. But damn, it was fun. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter that it doesn't make sense. Like, you, you get a sense of what's going on. You, you get a feel for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do... I'd forgotten just how 90s The Watcher looked at this point. 
and yet it's better than when he looked like Tor Johnson. I'm sorry. It, it's still it is still good. I mean, I, I think sort of Crime Watcher is sort of what we saw in the previous issue. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Big head cloak. This is a little too fancy. There's a little too much gold embellishment on it, but it's still recognizably Watcher. Yeah. And I'm not sure I really know all that much of Joe Phillips' work, but the art in this this issue is pretty good. It's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah. it's perfectly acceptable. He, he's he's almost got like, oh goodness, I'm blanking on his name, but he did that really great Christmas cover where we like all the heroes chasing Santa. Mm-hmm. Arthur Adams. It yeah. almost has an Arthur Adams quality to it. Yeah, just sort of middle of the road, like early '90s art. Yeah. Without committing some of the major sins of '90s art, I don't. I sure. Think. Yeah, I agree with that. As opposed to to Commander America, right? <laughs> yeah. If I have a complaint with the art, it's an understandable one. I don't fault it for this, but the the backgrounds are a little muddy. Like, there's a lot of panels where either there is no background or the background is all one color. Yeah. But I think part of that just speaks to probably what how quick the turnaround was on these issues and that it is what if and not one of the like cornerstone books of the imprint or maybe it's a tribute to john Byrne. <laughs> this <laughs> we are feeling the burn on this episode <laughs> it's it's a and, fun little story yeah and as far as launching sort of a mini crossover event this does a good job of sort of raising a bunch of questions that future issues can answer in terms of what exactly is going on with the timekeepers, how the how the watcher is involved with it, and setting the expectation that we're going to see versions of alternate versions of characters that we've seen before. Yes. And it it gets me intrigued. It does. Yeah. yeah. It, so, I'm excited for more Timequake, which is good because mm-hmm. next episode we will be looking at... Go back to the little box at the end there. What if, number 36, what if the Cosmic Avengers fought the Guardians of the Galaxy? So we're going to see, again, the Cosmic Avengers team we just met in this episode. Yeah. Uh, then we have number 37. What if the X-Vampires battled Dormammu during... <laughs> In Inferno. <laughs> oh god damn it, Trey! It's Inferno! It's Inferno! Trey! No, Trey! You, you promised, but, but Trey! James, you James, promised. James, no, but no. Vampire Wolverine. Vampire Wolverine. Vampire Wolverine. Okay. 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 Vampire Wolverine's pretty cool. Vampire Wolverine. Pretty and cool. his ex-vampires. Okay. <laughs> also, Mr. Sinister, Nastir, the Goblin Queen, and Sim. You should probably take over telling which issues are next. <laughs> uh, after that, we will have what if uh, number 38, what if Thor had become a thrall of Seth, Who? which sounds interesting. And number 39 is what if the Watcher saved the multiverse? Seems so familiar somehow. I, 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 you know, I can picture it almost as though it's animated. Yeah. And Watcher has a really sexy voice. Right, right. I don't think we're going to be getting Captain Carter in this one, though. Oh, that's a shame. I like Captain Carter. I like Captain Carter, too. Fuck all you haters. I love Captain Carter. 
the 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 Captain Carter comic miniseries is actually pretty damn good. Pretty good. Not great. I would have done some things different, but it's well written. Sure. But yeah, so we have several realities to look forward to coming up. Uh, again, the Cosmic Avengers of the issue we talked about today. The yep. reality where the X-Men are vampires, as seen way back in our past episode where we discussed the, the vampire X-Men with Chad Bowers. And I think the Thor one's actually brand new. We've not talked about any Thor what-ifs. Yeah, we haven't talked a lot about Thor at all in this whole comic. I think, well, in this whole show, I think the closest right. we came, I think... Was the, the issue today. Yeah, issue today. Well, he was he was in Heroes Reborn. Yes, he was. He was. So there you go. Right. But as far as a what-if version of Thor, the, the Cosmic Avenger version is the only one we've really seen. And looking, it looks like that issue is the first appearance of that version of Thor. And then, of course... We'll be wrapping up the the event with what if the Watcher saved the multiverse? So plenty of, of exciting reality hopping adventures to look forward to next time, I think. Very much so. I'm very looking forward to this. Please forgive my earlier outburst. Panic? Oh, you know what? We're we're wrong. We're wrong. This oh. story this 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 one does have a backup. What if Lady Deathstrike got a hangnail? Ha! <laughs> It is a single-panel backup, written oh. and penciled by David Cullen, ink by Jim Sanders III, letter by Dave Sharp, colored by Paul Beckton, edited by Craig Anderson. And Wolverine's like, hey, hey, thank God for him and new clothes, eh? <laughs> and I'm over here like, you're not going to say that a few years from now, Wolvie. <laughs> oh, bone claws are so goddamn stupid, I'm sorry. I've said this before on the show. Bone yeah. Paul is stupid. Yeah. His mutant ability is the healing factor, which allowed for the claws to be implanted. Like, uh... And I get that it was, hey, we wanted this cool event of Wolverine, but we don't want to take away this cool element of him. Ooh, let's say he has bone claws. And right. uh, no. Honestly, the thing to do would have been... This actually would have been really cool. He gets the adamantium ripped out of his skeleton, right? Yeah. He goes back to what the original premise of the character was and wears gloves that have claws in them. Yeah. Or been like, oh, his healing factor got so fucking used to having the claws that... That it, it, it spurred created, bone growth or something, it yeah. It spurred bone growth, yeah. Sure. The, 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 there are plenty of ways to do that story without making it as dumb as it was. Yeah. Oh, and then, like... He has to break off the bone claws every time he's done using them. There you go. Right, right. Not my favorite. No. It's just, anyway. The 90s. Yep, yep, yep. 90, 90s we, we, Marvel. We, we, Hell of a thing. We we lived through them. We certainly did. Yeah, yeah. The good, the bad, and the weird. The good, bad, and the holographic covers. <laughs> yes. Oil covers. Jesus. I had so many of those. Oh, so many. X-Men, Hulk, Spider-Man, <laughs> you name it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, Tomb Believers, that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. We are so glad you could join us. Please make sure you join us for the rest of Time Quake. Quick question for you. Is this your first time reading Time Quake, or had you pre previously read this crossover? I feel like not a lot of people talk about it. Yeah, I think it's a, an event that people have mostly forgotten about. It did get a little bit of discussion in sort of 
online comic spaces because of the What If TV series. Yeah, which like, there was a lot of remember it. when there was a lot of remember when Roy Thomas did this in the nineties. <laughs> and like, I'm over here like yes, yes I do, I do. Hi, that, yes I do. And and I think that there, there's been at least one What If omnibus that might have some might have Time Quake in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, it's more available than it used to be. Used to be this was the kind of book that you'd have to go digging through dollar bins to find. Yeah. Um, but but now there are collections, there are trade paperbacks. It's available digitally. It's much easier yep. to sort of go back to than than it was even in the early two thousands. Yeah, and of course you can get a Marvel, like I said, digital Marvel Limited has yep. all the parts of Timequake, and it's a great deal. Even though they're not sponsoring us, Marvel, why? <laughs> why yeah. sponsor us, Marvel? We will we take will, your money and, and hype your stuff. Mm, that sweet, sweet Disney money. We'll take it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. We, we 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 can. We don't live in Florida. <laughs> in any case. Anyway. Yep. Until next time, two believers. Are we going to do uh, any of the how to contact us and? No. Okay. No, they don't. They don't get to contact us anymore. Okay. Well, we're just retracting all of our social media and. Right. We're not going to tell them about tombofideas at gmail.com. We're okay. not going to tell them at tombofideas on Blue Sky, Twitter. Um, of course not. Um, no. We're, we're not going to tell them about facebook.com slash tombofideas. Why would we? No. Why? Why? And, and, and I'm certainly not going to remind them that our entire back catalog is on Cinepunks, and that's Cinepunks with an X. They don't need to know that in addition to our show, there's all kinds of other great programming, like The Carnage Report, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Cinema Smorgasbord, along with great writing about film, television, music, and all other areas of pop culture, because they really just don't need to know about Cinepunks.com. No. No, they don't deserve to know. I'll I'll just say it. Right. Yeah. They don't deserve to know. Yeah. This, this is this is where I state I'm an evil variant of James. <laughs> oh, yes, you fall I don't have an excuse. Plan. No, let's go commit genocide. <laughs> what did your wife marry a fishman too? I don't know. I have a texture in a little bit. Um, <laughs> is that a thing that could have happened in the hour and a half that we've been doing this? I don't know. Like. Namor is pretty hot, so maybe. That's fair. Especially MCU Namor. Huh? Yep. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Well, then, while I go invest in a snorkel, <laughs> until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, tombers, excelsior! Ha 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 ha!